Here you are again at Behind the Buzz, a public fit theater company's occasional podcast where we get together with actors, playwrights, and designers to discuss the myriad details that make up the production of our season of plays and staged readings. This is episode number six of season number two. And uh, today we'll be talking about the final fully realized production in our 2021-22 season, Andrew Bovell's Things I Know to be True, which opened at the usual place last Friday, April 1st, and we'll enjoy a four-week run through April 25th. I'm Joe Kukin, producing director here at APF, and as always, I'm joined by artistic director Remy Pereff. Hi there. And in a few scant minutes, uh, we'll be talking with two performers from that show, APF company member Jake Staley and Karen McKinney, who has stepped out of retirement to take on one of, I think I can confidently say one of the most personally challenging roles of her long and and storied career but first Emery Yes. You know, we take great care and uh, an awful lot of time uh to put together the season for a public fit. Why this play and how does it how does it sit in the season in 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 your mind? Um well, we took a lot of care this season to have representation, right? Yeah. So that was something that was very important to us. But also just in terms of our aesthetic, uh, what we're trying to create with theater is um, we're not really interested in doing anything that's hyper-realistic. That is true. <laughs> yes. Uh, and so there are a lot of abstract conventions in this particular play, especially uh, the way we, um, our use of props. Um, our or, use or lack of props. <laughs> yeah. I think every every character in this show gets one prop to use and then everything else is, is created right. and in we're a not, different way. We're not miming, but if I think we're trying to explain exactly how we were exploring the use of props it wouldn't make any sense unless you came and saw the show well, unless, well, unless you have a better explanation for that when we bring jake and karen in let's talk about that because jake has a couple of moments where he has to he has <laughs> i think more moments than anybody where he has to become those props and we'll, we'll we can chat about that yeah but i think another reason why this is such an important show in this time in this place in in our city is um you know Back when Tennessee Williams was writing Glass Menagerie, he was writing about himself. Right. And he was writing about what his adventures were. And he couldn't come out and say literally what those adventures were because we lived in a a society where if you were a gay man, you you weren't allowed to talk about it publicly. You weren't allowed to write about it because... You would be outcast in society. And, well, I, yeah, yeah, I say you were. I would say you were allowed, but the repercussions of doing such a thing right. were well, such that it kept people from well, he was living their lives be, fully and wholly yes, and, and out trying, of the open. Mm-hmm, yeah, he was trying to be a viable right. playwright. Of and, course. Uh, whereas now this play is dealing with a subject matter that most most playwrights are not tackling, and it's talking about the transgender community. That's an um, element of the play. Yeah, That's one element of the play. The, the play itself is about uh, family dynamics, and that's one of the dynamics in the play and how the whole family deals with that as right. a whole, especially the parents. And so that's why I think it's a really important show in this particular season. Right. So the, keeping with the idea of inclusion and mm-hmm. uh, uh, openness to, 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 to communities. You know, I, well, I mentioned Karen and, and, and Jake. Let's bring them in because we talk too much as it is already. Um, so let me just introduce really quickly uh, Karen McKinney. Spent more than 30 years as the artistic director for the award-winning Rainbow Company Youth Theater, where Anne Marie and I both actually, I would say, got our start. Our, our initial training started there, and then we went on to other things. But boy, all those years ago, um, 
Karen spent her time teaching acting, dance, mime, costume design, performance art, and and directing to I would say hundreds of students aged thousands, 10 to, thousands of students <laughs> aged ten hundreds. to seventeen. Well, over the course of thirty years, I'm trying to do the math. Um, to students aged ten to seventeen, and on a boatload of adults as well. It wasn't just limited to to teens and and kids. Um, you know, I was going to list all of the productions she's worked on over the years, but my my printer ran out of ink. I mean, there's just that many. So for 24 of those years, Karen wrote and directed a yearly original play about the history of Nevada and uh, toured those shows to local elementary schools and then all around the state as well. You guys out there in our podcast land may have seen her as Nell in APS stage reading of Endgame a few years back. But things I know to be true, I think, really marks her triumphant return to the stage as a dramatic actor. Is that fair to say? Uh, yeah, I guess it That's is. It's probably yes. fair to say. Uh-huh. Let me introduce Jake real quick, too. Jake uh, Staley is our returning champion. He's been here before. Jake uh, received his BFA in theater and dance at the University of Wyoming, then moved to Florida uh, to complete his MFA in acting at Florida State University, Oslo Conservatory for Actor Training, where he spent some time abroad studying in London uh, as well. Uh, you may have seen him over at Cockroach in, in Still Dance the Stars, but you certainly saw him here at APF in a number of stage readings, but also in Elephant Man. Um, and most recently, I think August Osage County, Jake has recently crossed over to the other side of the table, as we say in, in the theater, and served as director for APF stage reading of Gloria out at the library. Is all that pretty much true? That is all fact. And did I say Oslo right this time? You did. I mispronounced it last time. I didn't even notice. I did. I, Emery gave me a dirty look, but I got it right this time. <laughs> Karen, I, I talked about your triumphant return to the stage. Does it feel like that? Oh, huh? <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm having a really good time. Well, it's, I know it's a personally, it's a, it's a personally challenging role, not just in its line load, but I think in subject matter and, and, and just the dramatic, you know, challenges for someone who, you know, and I'm not, not on attack, certainly. You haven't been on stage in a while in this sort of scope. Were you scared, honestly? Oh, yeah. At first, it was a line load that frightened me, and then it was the text yeah. and, and the the role itself. Yeah. But And you know, we talked about this a year ago, and I said, yeah, okay, fine. And then there were recent tragic events that made me rethink that, and yeah. it took me a lot to decide to come back. I think I shared with you I had to stand in the bathroom and look in the mirror. I have an enormous mirror in my bathroom <laughs> and say, for 35 years, you took those acting students and you encouraged them to step outside their comfort zone and you told them to take a big risk and to do something that frightened you. You have to do this. Yeah. And that was why I didn't call you and say, never mind. <laughs> well, we, yeah, we were worried and we had a very short list of of actors potentially to replace you when you told us no and and that it's really a non-list because we couldn't really think of anyone that could step in to that role and do do what you do um in this play and I won't ask you to 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 get into specifics but is it was it as an actor I guess you're always using pieces of your life and and um parts of yourself and events in your life to, to help create a role. How hard was that for this one? Can you tell, well, first of all, let's start talking about Fran. You play Fran in Things I Know to Be True. She's the matriarch of the family. Can you tell us about, about her? Um, she's the, the mother of the family. She has four adult children who she loves fiercely. And as part of her fierce love, she wants to 
manage everything and make their life better and solve all their problems, which isn't always possible. And then she can kind of go off the rails when her plans don't work out and in a really powerful and maybe regrettable way. And that was the hardest part for me is um, I'll share that I Maybe I won't share. <laughs> well, yeah, she can be very nuclear. Right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. She, she, in the play, it even talks about her being a bridge burner. And, you know, I've known you, what now? Let's see, since I was 10 years old. And so I'm going to out myself. So that's 40 years. And, and you are not a bridge burner and you don't go nuclear uh, with people. You're a very kind and, and thoughtful person. So that aspect of the role um, is probably quite challenging. Well, for that you. was my next question. Did it, did it feel like a stretch? Because you're talking about a person who the character seems very different from from you. I'm, I'm sure there are some similarities and events in in the in your lives may sort of overlap a little bit. But in terms of the character herself. The thing about Fran is she says out loud and very loudly sometimes all the <laughs> things that maybe someone in that situation who isn't her would think but would never say. Right. Things that you and then you would go, oh, that's so selfish. I have to, I can't think that way. I have to be supportive or I have to. But instead, she just lets it all out. Doesn't really self-edit on the fly. Not at all. In fact, she's I always think that once she gets going, sometimes she's like having a tantrum. And I used to say this about one of my one of my sons would get on the train and there was no sense in trying to stop him with that tantrum until right. the train pulled into the station because he was going to tantrum until he was finished right so you just sort of had to step back and let him go yeah <laughs> verbal verbal diarrhea yeah and you just <laughs> you just can't stop and it just keeps coming and coming but yeah so i don't think i'm like her but there's a part of me that isn't far from her yeah i think Jake, do you have some, uh, there, this is a, okay, so this is a, things I know to be true, and I should say right now, uh, as I have been for this whole season, is that, that out there, you guys, there may be some spoilers that come up, and if you're, if you're interested in being completely surprised and hitting all the plot points uh, brand new when you're sitting in the audience, you know, maybe come back and listen to this one after you've seen the show, because we're going to talk, I think, about some very specific character moments and some plot points that, that may ruin, uh, well, I won't say, it, it would change the experience experience for you um with that having been said jake do you have a did you have a similar reaction with your you play you play ben yeah one of karen's sons in the in, in the play karen's talking about the some personality traits that she doesn't share but some uh with the character but some plot points and some life points that maybe she does did you have a similar experience with this one with ben yeah, yeah. first of all i just want to say how amazing you are karen at uh uh the the role in hearing you explain it and thinking about who you are and how you were in the rehearsal process versus what you portray and inhibit as that character is vastly different. And I love that. I'm like, that's not who she is, but that's part of her. And it's great. 
Uh, anyway, I just want to. Karen McKinney. She's so, so good. It's just so good. I'm like, oh, that's my mom. Uh, anyway, um, so the question was, do do I feel similar or or? Like what what, what sort of connections did you find personally to the script? Because in, yeah. you know, we've 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 opened now. We've run a weekend, and we've had a number of after show buzzes. Uh, uh, people out there on podcast line will know that one of APF's um, standards is that after every performance, and you know all the things we do, we we chat about the show and its themes and its discoveries and the the personal take that audiences seem to have for the show they don't seem exclusive to audiences because every buzz and you both contributed to most of them have very personal attachments to the play. And I feel like the cast as well has a very personal attachment to the play in a way that maybe Emery and I don't completely understand because some of those questions and things that you guys have, have, um, come to those realizations you've come to are independent of the rehearsal process isn't it's in the homework that you do and going over your lines and and mm-hmm. figuring out subtextual moments and things like that that we have very little to do with so i guess my question is do you, do you want to talk about that a little bit yeah is there anything I, you want to reveal or don't or uh, no absolutely i i think ben's an uh, uh incredibly interesting character as they all are um my personal take is i'm i'm scared of that character a little bit because i think each and every human being is able to be any of these characters at any given point, sure. sometimes more than others. But I certainly identify most with with Ben's relationship with everybody else and with himself. Um, maybe not so much anymore now in my life, but maybe five or six or seven years ago, definitely. Where very I, recently. Yeah, where, where I mean, his life's very chaotic. He's very ambitious. He's very... Um, materialistic, uh, materialistically driven, wants to be on top, wants to kind of beat everyone else. You know, it, it alludes to him playing soccer, running around, kicking a ball, trying to show off a little bit, right? Look at me, look at me, look at me. So I was trying to come into it with that attitude, which isn't probably hard for me because I still admit <laughs> that. Hey, I, yeah, look at me a little bit, um, which is gross, but whatever. No, <laughs> but there, there's there's something underneath that that's, you know, insecure and maybe damaged, not for any other reason than maybe genetics or or how I was brought up or what the the tactics I used as a kid and as Jake to to get my needs met and how those those tactics don't really work in adulthood. You know, they can lead to problems with, with, you know, doing things that are, that aren't morally uh, safe or correct and or healthy and, or healthy uh, yeah. and, and looking for short term pleasure seeking solutions, which is what I think uh, uh, Ben does eventually, you know, he's keeping it together, trying to, you know, but he buys a car. He's certainly doing drugs and, and, takes too many drugs is now, I mean, spoiler alert, now all of a sudden yeah. he's stealing from the company. And so all these things I can kind of relate to because uh, especially I'm, I'm monologuing a little bit, especially the line I love the most maybe is, is, you know, Tim's character, Bob, my dad is says, why did you, you know, he's like, you knew this was wrong. You knew this was wrong. Why did you do it? He goes, because I could. And that, I can relate to that. Sometimes you have no earthly idea why you did the things you did and you can rack your brain and suffer and search for that over and over again and be like, why did I do that? And you try to justify it and try to justify it. And I heard somebody else in my life and real Jake life now uh, tell me that like sometimes you just go, I'm sorry, I don't know why I did that. 
and you can't come up with any other reason. So that's where I relate to Ben a lot is I'm like, I'm sorry. Yeah, you're screwed up, but it's not your fault, but it is, you know, <laughs> real Jake life. I'm going to use that for an hour in, <laughs> yeah, in real so Jake life. Well, you know what I think is interesting? Cause as, as you list all of his, um, qualities or all of the choices he's made, you know, uh, he's materialistic. He, he takes drugs, he's opportunistic, right? He's ambitious, those are all things that he does outside the family, right? And he talks about those things. But when he's inside the family, we see how you interact with all of your siblings. And that's the person that we're, that we're seeing most of the time. So it, uh, we get to see how playful you are. We get to see how warm you are. We see, get to see how charismatic and, and charming you are within the family dynamic. So you are more than just those things. But if you were to list those things on paper, we would be like, he's not a likable character at all. Right. But he is a very lovable character. And he's also the baby of the family. And um, there's something very lovable about the baby of the family. Well, that's right. one of the I think that's one of the strengths of the writing of the play and the structure of the play, too, is that to to listen to this conversation right now, you would think that this is a play about um, a family who's dealing with a son who steals. And and, and that those are the major plot points. It's an element of the show, but I don't know if that, that that's what the play is about. Right. Is it, and and I, I, I struggle to say what the play is about, because technically it's about a season with a family. And within that season, uh, there is a lot of change. Each of the uh, each of their four offspring goes through a tremendous amount of change. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, Timothy, who plays the father, Bob, he has uh, a monologue where he talks about the family being like us. Right. But. The children, his, hope, his hopes of the family. Yeah, that they would make choices like us yeah. and they would stay near uh, the home and they would do the things like us. But none of the kids are anything like Fran and Bob to a certain extent when it comes to choices. And I think that's what the play is about, how uh, you make plans as parents to do a certain thing. And then you have these really unique children who have a different way of navigating life. And that's really explored in the play about how their personalities, along with circumstance, leads them to make different choices. So it sounds like a very straightforward, realistic play about these things. Is that is that how it's presented? It, well, I, that's a leading question because I know it's not. I, you, know, <laughs> you and I directed it. Emery and I were co-directors on this it one. Could so be. I, it could be. Uh, on paper, it could be a very realistic show. But I, I, I think that... Um, because of our aesthetic, we wanted to, to make it something more than that. And so what we we tried to do is we we hired a movement specialist. We hired a really strong lighting designer and sound designer, set designer, a costume designer, so that we would create this world that doesn't it's a non-realistic play in terms of the style in which we directed it. Well, I'm curious. I'm going to I'm going to ask Karen mm -hmm. to describe that style because, we, you know, you and I have talked about it a lot. We've talked mm -hmm. about it with the cast. We've talked about it with the audiences and during the buzz. But I'm curious, being on the inside a little bit, how you would describe the the sort of expressionistic nature of the show with the movement and the lights and the non-realistic approach that Amory has described? I loved the whole movement element. Everything about rehearsal, Every I told Anne-Marie I would have been happy if I could have just moved all my lines and never said a word. But I just love the, as if, if I were an audience member, I think I would really love the the quirkiness of that, the, and I would want to kind of in my own head delve into, oh, that's an interesting choice. I wonder what that means and kind of try to figure that out. And from an acting standpoint, I feel like the movement that I do 
just kind of reveals a deeper uh, facet of Fran that maybe you don't get through the lines and the story or whatever. It's a different way of expressing subtext, isn't it? Through through movement and, and just to insult everyone out there, subtext are, is the sort of intention under the line. It's not sort of written in the script itself. It's what's implied by the lines. It is what is under the actual dialogue that 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 are really you know really strong actors and hopefully smart directors can help bring to the surface so that um, the audience sees perhaps intentions that aren't explicitly written on the page. And I think that the movement goes a level deeper than subtext because it's not necessarily under the words that we're saying. It's more like I like to think the movement's coming more from the character's soul. So oh, it's almost sub, 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 sub text. So we've talked, we've talked a little bit about the, the- <laughs> Oh, that's deep. That's yeah. deep. <laughs> I'm like, it's like essence. It's yeah. like the essence of I, the character. Or the essence of what she's feeling or whoever. I mean, I yeah. don't know if everyone shares this, but that's, I, I'm kind of a, a movement-based human being. Yeah. And so well, I really- When you taught dance and choreography, you choreographed a lot of shows oh. at a Rainbow Company. Yeah, a lot of dance work as well. That had to be helpful. She does yoga like three times a day. I do. <laughs> before each show, I catch her backstage doing yoga before the show to sort of put herself in a headspace. Yeah. Not so easy in, in a nurse's uniform, well, let me tell you. Or, or, on that, or on that concrete floor, to be fair. Jake, you also have a, 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 you have a degree in dance, as I like to say. I knew we'll, I couldn't escape that. And we'll, always, and we'll tease you about that until- Till the day you die. If I am, if I'm, uh, you know, lucky enough to be around uh, for the first baptism of your 12 children, I will bring this up. I will never, <laughs> ever, ever drop this. Just so you know. I, I'm holding you to it. Okay. So as a, as a uh, actor with a f- long, fierce uh, background in dance, <laughs> do you feel the same way? What's your perspective on the, on the movement choices, the sort of b- broad um, dramatic movement choices in I the just, play? I liked the whole process. I, I don't know if I do this regularly or what, but uh, I usually don't see the forest for the trees and I kind of don't question what's being done because, well, especially because I trust this, this company and this crew so much that I'm like, what are we doing? Oh, that looks crazy. Let's do that. Yeah, let's keep going. <laughs> um, and and kind of knowing uh, uh, that we were in good hands. So anytime we were doing any of the movement and and if it wasn't clear, Joe was lying. I have very little movement. <laughs> well, so actually more so in, in when I was going to Florida State, we did this kind of contact movement work in our movement yeah. class. And, yeah. and so, we're, you know, you're familiar with just kind of making these choices that go, what does that mean? I don't really know, but you feel something, right? And I like that, especially with this play in general, it's not just the movement that expresses something. It's sort of the whole play. And whenever I try to nail down, for example, what this play is about, it always kind of shifts through, but I know it's something deeply rooted in emotion. It definitely makes me feel something right side of the brain versus left side of the brain. But in terms of the movement, it's very, uh, very impactful, uh, I, again, I didn't question it. And then after opening night, uh, I went up to my wife, Brianna, and, and she was like, that movement was so ex- exceptional. Like it was so, it, it was so powerful. And I was like, you know, I kind of, it just started imbi- like melding in with the show so much. I forgot that that was such a huge part of it, which is interesting. It's not like I wasn't oh, going funny. more moving, but I was like, it's just part of the show. It's yeah. part of the storytelling. It doesn't feel, it doesn't feel to separate. The, yeah. It, yeah. It doesn't feel like, oh, now we're just doing this movement thing. It feels intrinsically a part of the storytelling element. So right. something I was really afraid of because um, also having a dance background and also being really attracted to movement in plays is sometimes I will see movement in plays and I'll stop listening to the words. 
like the movement is too forward and the words are so far back that I, I, I can't, um, they don't live in the same plane. And so that was something that we really tried to do in the rehearsal process with Catherine, Joe and myself is make sure that the movement and the words, the thoughts lived in the same in the same world. Catherine Ullum, our, our movement specialist. Yeah. And so, and I think we did a good job. And also because it's such a, a there's a lot of monologues in the show uh, and there's a lot of drama in the show. There's a lot of um, catharsis in the show where the audience goes to the catharsis. catharsis. Um, I think the movement is important because it allows the audience to breathe and just you know, absorb the music and the movement and the atmosphere of the play, which I think is super important in the storytelling. You know, you brought up, you brought up the word catharsis and we've thrown that word around a lot. And I actually, before we started this conversation today, mm-hmm. looked it up to make sure that I was using it right. And to make sure that I understood exactly what catharsis was in the, the, in the, the Greek the, sense. Well, the, 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 the <laughs> def- definition that I found that I was most attracted to okay. was uh, catharsis was the process of releasing and thereby providing relief from strong or repressed emotions. Mm-hmm. And and I, I like that definition. And a lot of, we've, we've heard a lot of people talk about the catharsis of the play, not just from the characters, but from the audience as well. And I think we've seen a lot of that in the buzz. And my question is, is that a good thing? Is, is that something that we strive for, for audiences to, to go through catharsis, the, the relief from strong or repressed emotions or are we treading yeah. on dangerous ground no i mean that's the i remember a teacher of mine saying and this is probably taken from another quote i'm not good at remembering references at all but just that idea that art good art makes the comfortable uncomfortable and the uncomfortable comfortable huh. right so anybody well, that's that, a nice uh, pithy saying but i well, mean the, the depth of that it makes sense it's like you you're gonna try to you know, kind of fight the man a little bit. And also anybody that's oppressed or depressed or repressed, build, repressed all depressed, all depressed. <laughs> anybody that's pressed, <laughs> In yeah, anyway. pressed pants, you bring them up. Uh, so I think that's, yeah, if I've, I've, I can only think of a handful of times. Again, I was talking to my wife, Brianna, about this last night. She was like, I cried again at the show. And she's seen it two times, she's seen it two times twice. now, twice. I'm sure she'll see it again. And, and she was, She's like, and not in my part. She's not just being like, oh, you know, it, it was other parts of the show. Because you're so, such a rat bastard. Uh, <laughs> I, know, I, know. I actually feel that. And I like playing. <laughs> but um, yeah, if you can, I I can only think I've seen, you know, hundreds of shows. I've only maybe cried three or four times. Or maybe I'm not being honest with myself, but those are really impactful shows. If you can get me to well up and then actually shed a tear that's imme- immediately yeah, but, to me just okay, like a show that's wanna, doing its job. Okay, but I want to press back a little bit. I'm going to push back just a little bit on the notion that that crying equals catharsis. The release of emotion is not catharsis, right? That's that's. I'm going to go back to my definition here. The process of releasing and thereby providing relief from. Yeah. Right. And so so crying at a show. Yeah, you can do that. The music can swell. And, and, and you know, when when uh, Iron Man dies at the end of Infinity Wars. Spoiler alert. Uh, <laughs> sure. Is that catharsis? No, I think that's just the releasing of emotion. That's a different animal altogether. Catharsis is a very specific mm-hmm. thing. Did I step on you, Emery? You wanted to. No, no, no. Uh, uh, I feel like we live in a, a very controlled society where we're taught to really guard our emotions and put up all of these shields and and even to be socialized. Right. Uh, in society, we, we do a lot of um, 
putting walls in place. Uh, and I think what's good about shows that have catharsis is it allows us to really um, look at those things that we're protecting and in a really a safe space, right? Uh, um, like the theater, it allows those things to bubble up and to be expressed. And we don't necessarily have to talk about it with anybody or reveal what it is that we're repressing the, the or, behind, yeah. or suppressing or oppressing what the press is, right? Yeah. Uh, we don't have to talk about it, but it, it's a way of us examining it in a very safe way. Can I get your opinion on this, Karen? Because I mean, I'm just going to say, I don't know anyone in theater or in my life that has more direct and honest uh, connection to her emotions and her emotional tool than, than you. I don't. And you're just a, you are I'm not saying you're an open book, but you are you are so very easily moved and and um, available in, in that way that that's honestly, I'll be honest, sometimes I wonder during the rehearsal process if you aren't in danger, oh. <laughs> you know, so, and I bet you probably feel the same way. So I'm kind of curious about your perspective on this, because this is why I, I asked the question, is catharsis a good thing? Because I think sometimes we may be treading on dangerous ground with people. It's it's such a personal thing. I don't think we'll ever know. Yeah. If you're talking about catharsis for the audience, to me, in order to kind of achieve that, if you will, which was the goal in Greek theater, was it not? Right. As I, you know, get in the way back machine and think about my theater history classes. Yeah, I think the audience has to kind of be swept up in the story. And to me, the examination that Anne-Marie was talking about happens after, or it might touch you at the moment, but really the tears you shed or the other emotions you, if you laugh hysterically, whatever yeah. you do, any yeah. kind of emotion that you feel that helps kind of cleanse you happens because you're caught up in the story that you're seeing unfold before you. And then if it happens to relate to something in your life or in your day-to-day -day or your deep, dark emotional past, and then you can examine that on your own privately. But the whole cathartic thing, I understand, is supposed to come from the release of emotions as a result of seeing something or maybe being in something. I don't know. Let me tell you what's coming up here at a Public Fit. As we mentioned, Andrew Bovell's Things I Know to Be True. It opened on April 1st, but you still have three more weeks. Well, depending upon when you're listening to this episode. If you're still around through April 25th, come see that show at the usual place. 100 South Maryland Parkway at the corner of Maryland and Fremont. You guys have been there. It's our, our theater space. We've got one more staged reading this season. Will Arbery's Heroes of the Fourth Turning out at the Clark County Library. We've got two shows of that one. Again, this, those are free. June 24th at 7 o'clock and then a Saturday matinee, 2 o'clock on June 25th. And that's going to end our 2021-2022 seasons. Stay close by all of your devices, your Facebooks, your internets, your Instagrams for announcement of our upcoming season. And Marie and I are, are currently... <sighs> in conversation on what that next season is going to be. I'm as anxious to hear about it as you are. We'll see you soon. Well, I want to, I want to, I'm going to put this out here and maybe you guys can talk about it a little bit in the past, this season, especially 
Um, and in I think sort of in the theater writ large, there is a common uh, now practice of trigger warnings, right? And I can say specifically for these, a, a couple of our readings, you know, your reading, Jake Gloria, had an act of gun violence. And we put up a, 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 a poster that said, you know, there's a, a trigger warning here for people who are going to react poorly to gun, not react poorly, that's the wrong side of words, who are going to react strongly to gun violence, who are going to be triggered by that trigger, 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 trigger. And so I sat down and I sat down to write the trigger warnings for things I know to be true. And I don't know what they are. And I think that the the emotional reaction to things I know to be true is, and this is nothing to speak about Gloria or your work, Jake, but are 10 times, 20 times stronger than the reaction to a, a gun battle or or to that sort of violence. And But I can't put my finger on what, I don't know how I would trigger warning this show. It's personal for each individual person. Yeah, yeah. it's fan, especially because it's family. So it's it's like if there's outer layers of a human being, the the innermost layer is family kind of, even if we push that away or hold it dear. So there's a lot of, of family dynamics. That's there's so many because of the four kids, there's something that's going to hit home for someone, for Mm -hmm. every single person that sees it. If you're a a daughter and you have issues with your mother, it's going to, it's going to trigger you. Right. (laughs) If you're the baby and you're the, the, the baby with the mother and you have that mother baby dynamic, that's going to trigger you. So my warning would be warning, deep emotional feelings being felt emotionally. (laughs) If you have a family, if you were a woman born, you are, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, and do you need to put a trigger warning? I mean, what is the state of theater coming to? I know I was watching the news this morning and they did do a trigger warning sure. with the whole thing, the war in the Ukraine. And, oh, yeah, yeah, and yeah. of course, I couldn't look away. It was so horrific. Those but, images are, are horrible. But don't people come to the theater with the understanding that they're going to be touched isn't that's why I go to the theater. I go to the theater to find something on stage or a story that touches me emotionally. And I can't even put a definition on that or tell you what that was going to be. I mean, I hope so. You know, we're having um, sort of as a as a industry, a hard time getting people to come to theater at all. Theater. Well, you know, theater is, is like the sort of one entertainment form that has been dying for the past hundred years. We've all sort of baseball. You, yeah. Theater and baseball. <laughs> we're on the way out. There's a, but, you know, getting those. And we always say it at, at Public Fit, you know, that the future of the theater is not in the in the hands of new directors and actors and, and playwrights, but it's in the hands of new audiences. And if we don't get new audiences, the future of the theater is 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 a non thing. How do we sort of remind people that 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 catharsis, that emotional connection to a live story told well is is worth their attendance, their time and their money? What's the what is there a trick? Well, I guess if we all knew the trick, we'd have full houses every night. Mm hmm. Mm. I, 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 tried, I tried to do my part to bring up a new audience when I was at Rainbow Company. We kept the prices affordable so everybody could come to the theater, hoping sure. that we would create some theater audiences. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of cliche things that we say a lot, you know, in order to promote theater. But it, it's about community coming into the same space. And, and even though we have differing ideas about how we navigate life... Right. Um, Theater gets these people with these different perspectives to all come in the same room and to share uh, in in the telling of one story. That's the value. One of the values of coming out. Also, you're considering 
uh, literary works, right? Strong literary works put together with uh, strong design elements uh, and the, these visual ele elements and they're being uh, married together. There's a lot of artistic vision that's put in place when you're going to the theater that uh, I think is beneficial for, for all people. Well, the collaborative nature of the of mm -hmm. theater demands that. And that's true of all theater. I don't care at, at what level you're operating. There is a collaborative nature, heard, whether it's even in like a high school mm -hmm. play, an elementary school pageant, there's collaboration involved at, I heard at some level. I heard Daz say something in a, a meeting. He's the, arti Daz Weller, the artistic director, director of, of Vegas Theater Company. Yes. And he was saying, going back to our theater history, he, he was saying that the Greeks required that every man in society in the in their society was um forced actually forced to attend theater uh which were stories about women children you know things other than their experience than their experience so that they would have catharsis and that they would have empathy hmm. and, and i i I still think that that is true. Wouldn't it be uh, interesting if all all of society was mandated <laughs> so to come to the theater? <laughs> so you heard your phone, first folks, Henry Preff, artistic director of a public theater company, is advocating forced attendance at theatrical <laughs> events. And I think I can get on board with that. I don't see a problem with that. Just, just, I see. I'm not mandating that, but... I see no downside. <laughs> not at all. You'll have to put up more chairs. Yeah, we, will, we, will need, we will need more chairs. That is true. <laughs> and I don't probably know, better concessions. I don't know. I, you know, I have to go and do some research on my theater history, but he did mention that. And I was like, wow, that's very compelling. That is compelling. Well, then, that brings me to the, this question then for, I'm going to put this to, to you two, to, to Jake and Karen. So why this play? If we're going to mandate attendance to this play, why, what, what would your advertisement be or your plea to theater goers to, to, to come see this one? What is it about this one that, that is different from a really good revival of Odd Couple? Well, you know, that there, it has its place, yeah. <laughs> but I just think the story of this family dynamics and this family that has such, and I used the word before, fierce love for each other and survives in whatever form it's the family starts one way and then is constantly reimagining itself and coming out and they're still family it just looks a little different and from my experience with family I raised five children yeah and um and that's what happens things change and you adapt and move forward with whatever hand you're dealt yeah and and stay together Yes, in whatever form together is now. Yeah. Jake? Uh, I was just thinking of that question and going, well, what do I want to go see when I go see theater, right? And you want to say like good performances or like a really great script, this and that. I think it has all that, but in the- Big uh, laughs. Big laughs. Yeah, <laughs> hilarious. Um, Dancing. I have to say, there is some humor in this show. Oh, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, there, there's things that keep it light. Um but I'm sorry, the, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, I, that, it's fine. I, I I think in the end, though, I want to be in awe of something. I want to look at something and be – there's, again, just – when I saw Venus and Fur, there was something at the end of Venus and Fur when I saw it down in Florida that sent a shiver down my spine. Now, I can't see the forest through the trees here in this – for the trees. Forest for the trees in this because <laughs> uh, I'm in it. But I can feel it when I'm backstage watching the other members of this cast perform on stage. 
of just the sense of, oh my God, this is riveting, or this is beautiful, or this is building momentum. And it's kind of a waterfall of, I hate to say waterfall of emotion because the actors obviously aren't trying to play an emotion on stage, but that's the result of what the audience is getting. I'm getting washes of emotion and people striving to be heard and trying to get what they want. And especially in this show, being so resistant, the parents are so resistant to change, to change with their kids and their kids are fighting for it. And there's something beautiful about that. There's also something touching in my own life where I'm like, yeah, that's wrong with what's wrong with all of us. We are always resistant to change and that's what makes us suffer. And, and it's, it's a tour de force. I think when I watch everyone else on stage doing it and I'm like, I'm a part of that. This is all amazing. So <laughs> it's, it's just, it, I, you can feel, I, I said it at the beginning, like maybe three or four weeks into the rehearsal process where I think I turned to Andrew and I was like, this is going to be a damn good show. <laughs> and, and he was like, yeah, I guess so. You know, I think, I think it's gonna be. And then I kept saying it week after week. And I still believe that full heartedly. Like, it's just one of those that I'm like this, I knew this was going to be good halfway through. And I don't think I've said that about any show I've done. So I, Go see it. It's that's really good, guys. <laughs> Karen, you perked up on the notion of change. Is that was there something you wanted to add? Uh, just that, yeah. People in general don't like change, but I also think one of the things that really only was touched on the buzz for a second is that this is so current in that the generations, the one generation that sees life one way and has done what they're supposed to do and followed the rules and done everything, and then the younger generation that just wants to be happy. You know, they talk a lot. People talk about the generation now that doesn't stay in the same job for 35 years like I did. Yeah. Um, But, but they hop around trying to find joy and they work five or six little jobs. I have a, a 29 year old son who's on, I don't know what job he's on. And by that time I had found my passion and, and was doing it. And I think, you know, it's like my oldest boy keeps going to me, hey, boomer, when I say <laughs> things to him, like, you know, like, like Bob says to you, what, you know, Fran has an, a, an interesting line that always, it always catches me off guard when she says it. She said, you say, um, there's that word again, Bob, happy as if that were the point of living. And that seems like a very, a very harsh perspective that, that the point of living is not happiness. It's something else. And then she talks about later about what those, what the points of life really are, whether it's raising children or just getting by or feeding yourself or, or whatever. It's an interesting, interesting perspective, which brings me to something else that I want to ask you two about, because one of the reasons I have to admit that I brought you two here for the buzz today is, is, is this, um, Karen, you've been married more than 35 years, 39, 39 years coming up on 40 years of coming up on 39 years of marriage. Um, Jake, you're a newlywed. Yeah. You're less than six months. Uh, is that right? I don't know. Uh, I'm just guessing. Yeah. Coming into the six months. And so don't let me forget that. (laughs) (laughs) It's on the record now. I got 10 days. (laughs) Just look at my phone. What is the six month anniversary? It's not paper. What is this? That's one year. It's going to be a dinner date. (laughs) So my my question is that there has to be a perspective on, because I think the play not only talks about life and family, but marriage too, and the relationships that people have over the course of, of time. And I'm wondering what your perspective is, Karen, as a, as a 40 year old married person and a versus your perspective, Jake, as a six month year old married person, um, do you look at, has the play made you look at your 
relationships or the ideas of marriage or the concepts of these long-term families in a way? And how are they different? I'm really, I'm just, I'm honestly just curious. I'm honestly just wondering what your perspectives might be for my own personal curiosity. Well, I'm really happy to go home to my husband, (laughs) but, um, I think that when you have been in a relationship a long time, it, the stakes are, are, the stakes are higher. You just, it would take a lot more for one of us to walk away now than maybe it would have when we've been married a shorter amount of, no, (laughs) I was thinking more two or three years. Um, Because there have been times in my marriage earlier on where we had, we came to a fork and we talked about what we wanted and who was disappointed in who and what we thought and whether we were going to continue. And I suppose it's no secret, you know, it's if when we got to that point, we did seek some help to help us make those decisions. And, um, but I think that now it would have to be, I can't imagine a situation where I would just say, that's it. I'm out. Goodbye. I just can't. Yeah. It just, it, there's an awful lot invested. And the play speaks about emotionally that as well as everything else. And you and you find that that sort of subject in the play. Uh huh. Yeah. It, yes, it and we see, clear. we see we, the we see we see because it's it's a drama, uh, or you see a lot of the conflict, and then. It's resolved somehow. And, and Jake, I keep doing this to you. I feel like I'm keep just throwing, well, I keep throwing like I'm throwing all this pressure on you. And, and Brian, if you're out there listening, I'm I'm sorry. I'm not trying to break your marriage up. I'm not <laughs> trying to put all this pressure on it. I'm really not. But I really am curious about the perspective because um, it just seems so pertinent. I think the solution is really clear. It's just don't have kids, right? I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Uh, you had no argument here. Karen, I get five. Well done. But I, well, um, I didn't have them all. I know. I, I, I don't know. I mean, this, this show, uh, certainly that line, there is a line in the show. Did we already talk about it? And I just blanked but um when when fran says you can't stay in love with someone for 30 years you don't you just you fall out of love or maybe love's not the point getting by is the point something to that effect yeah that's a pretty good reading actually yeah yeah yeah. and and it's it's a brilliant line and it's also really uh, probably true there's a sense of I think pretending if if I were in the state now with my marriage where I'm pretending that it's always going to be at the level it's at right now or that it's going to stay this same way, that would probably lead me to resist, you know, five, 10 years down the road when it's inevitably going to morph into something else. But like, well, this isn't the same as it was and I'm not happy with you. And, and now we're done, you know, yeah. or vice versa. Well, you um, said that the buzz the other day that, that, yeah. that the growth of, of relationship is important and, and that they don't stay the same. You can't possibly stay the same over the course of all that time. Right. And then there's also just the, the under, if you accept the idea that in any given moment, you're going to be feeling a different way throughout your own day, throughout your own week, month, year, 
I, I once read something brilliant that was like human beings aren't just this one single thing. You're not one single soul that's going to travel throughout the course of your life. You are a myriad. You're a symphony and the symphony is playing different parts of the symphony are playing at different times. Oh, I like that. And you're almost just a spotlight shedding light on these different parts of the symphony. So you can go from one moment to wanting to love and pet on a dog to 10 minutes later wanting to murder somebody yeah. and actually having whole intentions of doing that Piccolo based on your solo. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it, knowing that that's how human beings are is also knowing how kind of relationships will be, uh, uh, I think. And if I, I'm hoping that if I have that expectation, I won't be too reactive to it switching around on me, you know, or, yeah. or us changing into different people at different times, then coming back together. And then, you know, as long as you adhere to a certain few rules, then you should be good, <laughs> you know? I hope so. Yeah, as long as trust isn't completely broken, um, and you're okay. And certainly your character and and Bob and Fran have tr have things that are trust that is broken, but is that a bridge that you can mend and cross? And I, in the end with that play, I'm like, yeah. Well, well, you know. And she says that. She says, and you come back and there, the man you did love is still there, and you... Decide to, you know, re rebuild, hopefully, that trusts. And, yeah, I, mean, I think that's one of the great strengths of the play is that we see these, what what in some plays would be considered disastrous arguments that would split a family apart or send, you know, characters into divorce or send them their separate ways. And what we see is a fiery scene that in, immediately, like literally in the next five seconds when the scene changes, these two same people picking up and, and carrying on in an, in sort of an, a different sort of casualness without the need to show the scene where they reconcile or, or they take words back or the argument is settled because sometimes those arguments aren't settled. They're just swallowed and you go on with, with, with it. I was going to say the same thing. That's what I like about the play. And I, in the rehearsal process, we tried very, at times we were trying to find solutions to these big out, out, outcries, outbreaks, and then I was like, well, sometimes you just wake up the next day and you make some scrambled eggs and you move on. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, it's it's slices of life. It's like when you go to the movies, those characters still have their they have their scenes off off film, just like in this. Yeah. Scenes happen off off stage and maybe you're not entitled to see those scenes. I don't know. This So this this is one of the first buzzes. Not one of the first. This is the first buzz that we've recorded this season that we've recorded after the show's opened. All the other ones we've sort of recorded um, as sneaky adverts for the play to come. Uh, but this is the first time we can talk about the play, having seen now some audience reactions and having had a couple of now four um, post-show buzzes. And I'm wondering if you two... Um, who have participated in buzzes before with us and and uh, either on, on both sides of the of the table, both sides of the stage. Um, if there's anything in, in some of these audience reactions and some of these audience discussions that we had, this is just carrying the conversation, you know, from the buzzes here to the to the, the tape recorder right now. But um, if any of those conversations surprised you, impressed you, made a made a mark on you. I always say, and I'm not, I'm not kidding, we learned something new. We learned something new at each and every buzz, but I wonder if they've affected you guys in, in a way that I haven't seen. There's two things that I can think of, and hopefully I can remember both with as much coffee as I've had. One being how, react, uh, how reactive people are to either saying one of two things, which is, um, well, I, I think this family is too reactive or too uh, uh, jumps on each other a little too much or that that 
these people are saying more, they're having more vicious fights than I've ever seen in my own family. Right. Or the, uh, the opposite of that, which was, this is pretty tame. This family's <laughs> actually very tame for my family's way more explosive. That and vicious surprises than that. me too. And I'm like, yeah, right. You know, so either this family dynamic is very introverted and suppresses. They don't state their needs. They, they swallow that and just hope that things fix themselves and they don't address issues because they don't have proper boundaries or they really don't have any boundaries again and are just vicious with each other so that amazes me um and then the other thing of course i said i was gonna try oh the the woman who came in um and said honesty is overrated was i love that i part of me had a vitriolic not vitriolic uh uh, uh some sort of reaction where i was like no that can't possibly be true honesty is the best number one thing in the whole world that's what we all need is more honesty she's like no when you're dealing with family honesty can be overrated because it's usually used to hurt people and i was like as a weapon and i was like oh yeah you're so right honesty with yourself is different right and that's what i was latching on to that was a remarkable conversation because i saw everyone on stage go no it's not honesty is absolutely and and in the play these characters can be almost well, it's brutally honest. They're reactively honest. I wouldn't say brutally honest. They're reactively honest. Yeah. And it's part of their love language to just sort of blurt these things out. And sometimes it's it's really harsh, their honest reactions to certain events that that happen and transpire. Well, and when she said that, I thought, mm-hmm. well, this is, they're not going to react well to this. And, and you're saying, I'm sorry, Emery, I interrupted Oh, no, 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 at all. Well, uh, so I'm just going to talk a little bit about like the structure of plays because they're not novels. You know, in a novel, you can really see the internal thoughts of people. When in plays, if characters are not speaking their thoughts, then then we don't have a play. So in, in essence, there is a lot of honest speak <laughs> from the character because they're they're sharing their perspective. It just depends on how vicious the character is or how altruistic the character what, is. What the motives are behind yes. those those honest yeah. moments. Yeah. What about you, Karen? Have there been any uh, buzz moments or, or conversations that, that stuck out or, or affected you? I have been blown away by the fact that overall the audiences have thought that the show was about love and love of family and the connection, or as one audience member said, the elasticity of this family that, that they love word, each yeah. other so much that no matter what happens, they come back together again and move away because that was something playing this role that terrified me. I warned all my friends. I just said, I am so unlikable. You are going to hate this character. Don't come. But I didn't say don't come. <laughs> what what um, are you doing? You're killing our box office, McKinney. <laughs> No, only only one person who is going to hate it, but she's coming. Okay, and um, <laughs> we'll sit her in the back, give her a box of tissues. She'll be fine. But um, yeah, and that that has been a real eye opener for me because I'm not used to being on this side of the proscenium, if yeah. you will. Yeah, and people say to me, "So how's it going?" And I'm like, "I have." I think everybody else is really good, but because I'm used to sitting where you guys are sitting, that's where my perspective comes from and being in the middle of it. It's hard. Well, it's like you said, you can tell when you watch everybody else work, but when you're in the middle of it, that's the the furthest thing from your mind. How is this going? So this play isn't a a tragedy. I mean, we've talked a lot about the... the, Oh, oh, it is is a tragedy. It's such... This is so sad. (laughs) So, yeah, I'm welling up even thinking about it. Uh, The ending sucks, man. (laughs) 
<laughs> so you're encouraging people to leave an intermission, or should they just stand uh, up? Uh, no, 10 minutes no, before John. The play leaves? Well, I don't know. I don't know. Hey, they've already paid for the ticket. Yeah, yeah, who cares? Yeah. I'm kidding. Uh, yeah, no, it's so sad. The ending's sad. It's so sad. I don't want to <laughs> spoil it. Is that it what makes a tragedy? A sad ending? Isn't it? Isn't it? It's pretty basic. It's like frowny. Are you walking away with a happy face or a frowny well, face? Well, Shakespearean lies. If someone dies, then it's a tragedy, right? Well, I, I, you're right. The 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 what you can infer from what happens with the family afterward, though, makes it kind of not either a, a comedy or a tragedy. It's just a, it's a story. Well, and just, I think the Rosie's words at the end, saying what was happening help kind of alleviate the sting a little bit because to me when you lose someone the hardest part is all the things left unsaid yeah yeah well that's actually a line that 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 uh one of the one of the characters says when we do lose a major character and says that it all those things were like please god no not her there were so many things left unsaid it, it's it's extant there they're in the play well, okay. So you guys think they should come see it? Tragedy or not? It, yeah, it's just, this show's yes. really good. Okay. Well, <laughs> I'm I in a sad I place now, just thinking I, about the I, ending. I'm seeing Karen well up, so we're going to stop before I destroy <laughs> another another actor. So I want to I want to call it there, unless I I haven't brought up something that that you would like to mention, Anne Marie or Karen or or Jake. We talked about my dance degree, right? We did. <laughs> okay, cool. All right, that's we all I did, make sure. but not enough. We're going to record a special a special dance a Jake dance edition uh, upcoming. But I'm, I guess I'm going to uh, call it. There because I love these conversations, but we don't have all day, and I think we're just gonna say that's about it for for this episode of Behind the Buzz. It's, you know, our continuing conversation about the work we do. Um, what did I say? This was season season two, episode six, and I'm gonna thank Jake Staley and Karen McKinney for joining us today to talk about Andrew Lavelle's Things I Know to Be True. Um, you guys out there, I hope you enjoy these conversations, and and I hope you've already subscribed, and I hope you take the time to give us a quick review on what it whichever platform you use to listen to these podcasts. Um, really, your feedback not only allows us to get better at this whole podcast thing, but it also helps other listeners across the interglobe uh, to discover and join in on these conversations. And, you know, we here at A Public Fit, we are all about uh, the unending conversation. You can also contact us directly by writing to us here at Behind the Buzz at a publicfit.org. Talking about the work is, is one of the favorite things that we do, uh, and we really so love to hear from you. Um, Behind the Buzz is a product of a Public Fit Theater Company in association with Giant Leap Industries, Adam Paul Director, slash Space Cowboy. of Giant Leap Industries.